Hey, Novation, it's Joel Dennis. So, the great saying, right? Weird church is better than no church. Here we are. I wish that I could be with you this morning, but I'm actually here last night because of Brad and Kristen Dryden. That's the first thing I want to bring up, is please give them a round of applause because you guys don't know how much they sacrifice for this church. So give them a round of applause. I just want to first say thank you to them. So here's the deal. We had a great opportunity to take a missions trip this year. So Scott and Janelle are down there. My wife Alicia's down there. The whole team is doing a great job. We've been getting some of the updates from them. I'm just so excited to hear how our church is being able to partner with the churches down there. And I've been to the church that they are at this morning. And it's just such an amazing thing that we get that chance to send a team down to be the hands and feet of Christ. So through that chaos, my turn in the rotation came up where I was going to preach for Scott this morning. And through the last few days, I wasn't feeling too good. Um, So we really felt like it was best for me to not be in person and instead do the socially distant thing. And I'm going to be preaching to you through the camera this morning. But what we're going to do is we're going to trust that God is in control, even when we feel like we're not. So I'm going to pray for us this morning as we get started. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are all powerful. You are all knowing that you love us deeply. Father, that you would send your son Jesus for us. And that you would call us into deeper levels of faith and hope and trust than we ever thought we could believe we could do. So I pray for us this morning as we get into this message that you meet us right here and now, that you challenge our hearts, that you stir our faith, that we will be daring, that we will walk with you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're going through this series, it's Living by Faith, and today we are going to talk about that. We're going to talk about daring faith. And I want to share a few stories with you from people in the Bible that have made an impact on me. Because as I'm looking at what does my faith need to look like where it's a daring type of a faith, I'm reminded of, I mean, there's so many. Scott went through several of them last week. You go through Hebrews 11, it's just person after person who had incredible faith. But some of the people that I wanted to bring to your attention today, the first one is my favorite character in all of the Old Testament. His name is Itai. And I know most of you have probably heard of him, so this story may be very bland and boring to you. No, maybe not. Well, Itai was a name that I wanted to name most of my boys. We ended up having seven boys, and the top of my list for each of them was this name. And surprisingly, Alicia wouldn't let that happen. I don't know why that is. Um, No, I do know why it is. Obviously a very strange name. So let's get into who Itai is. Itai was a Philistine. He was a man from Gad. You see, the Philistines were an enemy to the Israelites. So I want you to know that before we get into this story. So give you some background. King David is in charge. 
and David's ruling, and he has a son whose name is Absalom, and he sends his son away. And as he sends his son away for several years, his son becomes very bitter. And when he comes back to the city, he purposes in his heart, he says, I'm going to overthrow my dad. I want to be king. So for four years, Absalom sits outside of the city at the gate and he tells people as they're coming in, if only I were king and able to judge, things could be different. For four years, he built his case to the Israelites. And after four years, they began to think, maybe David isn't the right king. And the scripture says that they turned their hearts against David and they began to trust that Absalom would be the better king. So at one point in the story, David fears that Absalom is coming to kill him. Absalom's taking over the throne, so David decides to flee. Well, here's where Ittai comes in. Ittai comes in and he had brought 600 people with him to Jerusalem to serve David and to be with him. They show up and the next day is the day that David's leaving. And David looks at him and he says, why in the world would you come with me? Go back and be with your people. But there's a tension in Ittai because even by aligning himself with David, he knew the risk that was on his life being a Philistine. But he says this, he says, surely as the Lord lives and as my Lord and King, meaning David lives, wherever my Lord and King may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be also. So as David's fleeing the city and he has no idea where he's going, Ittai comes and he says, I'm going to have faith and I'm going to stick with you because I trust you and I trust your God. Such a powerful story to me where he could have just stayed back. He could have gone and been with his people, but he said no. He took a step of faith and he was daring. My next story is a beautiful story of Queen Esther. For those of you that don't know the story of Esther, she was a peasant and an immigrant from another land. And she and her mother-in-law came and she decided to stay with her mother-in-law. Well, through a crazy story, she becomes queen. She ends up being with the king and he has pity on her and brings her in as his wife. Well, as the story goes along, there's another uprising, and the king wasn't the king of the Israelites. Instead, there was someone who wanted to, to destroy all of Esther and her people. And Esther had the choice. She had the choice to either go and talk to the king and say, you need to protect my people, or several of her own family members may have died. But here's where the tricky part came in. No one was allowed to go and be with the king unless they were invited. And Esther had no reason to go into the king. So if someone came in and was trying to have the presence of the king, the king would either hold up the scepter to them, would decide whether they were going to live or die. So there was a seriousness to this decision that needed to be made. But Esther made a daring faith decision to go in and talk to her husband, the king, 
to protect not only her life, but the lives of all of the other people in her family. We see another example there of daring faith. And our third, third is also one of my favorites because it's just someone who is very inconspicuous. Someone, as you're reading through Scripture, this story is in the New Testament, you may just gloss past it and not really think about it. This is out of Mark, Mark 5, verses 25 through 34. I'm going to read it to you. It says, There was a woman who suffered and who had discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and she had spent all that she had and she was not better but was actually growing worse. She had heard reports that Jesus had come and she came up behind him in the crowd to just touch his garment. For she said, if I just touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately after she touched his garment, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. And Jesus himself, perceiving that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples looked at him like he was crazy. That's my interpretation. Said, there's a crowd around you. What do you mean who touched your garment? And Jesus just simply replied, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. And the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said and looked to her and said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Yet another story of amazing faith where it wasn't, I need to get Jesus' attention. Maybe he can do something special for me. It was simply, I just need to get near him. If only I can touch the edge of his robe. I know that I can be healed. Today we're going to look at daring faith. And what does that look like in our lives? Where is God calling you and me to daring faith? That step out of the boat faith that he wants us to have. And that's where our main scripture comes from from today. Scott mentioned it last week. We're going to really look at this opportunity that Peter had for daring faith. So you can follow along. It says this, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him waking, walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. 
And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I don't know how many of you know this, but Scott and I had a chance with many others from the church to go to Israel. And I think I've told part of this story before, but while we were at the Sea of Galilee, one of the things they took us on was a boat tour out on the Sea of Galilee. And I can't tell you that I was so disappointed that it was one of the clearest days that we had while we were there. Because all I wanted while we were on that boat is for a giant storm to come and start rocking that boat. Why? Because I'm a little bit crazy. Because I'm an experiential person and I wanted to be in a boat near the place, the Sea of Galilee is not very big, near the place where the disciples were also in a boat. And they could picture Jesus walking up to them. Because it's one thing during the middle of the day for Jesus to come walking on the water, that would have been incredible. It's another thing for in the middle of the night where you can't really see and the storm is raging and the waves are crashing for there to be someone walking on the water up towards your boat. That's the sight that we're given here. They literally thought it was a ghost. So how do we walk in daring faith like Peter? See, daring is this. It's adventurous courage and boldness. And I think that God wants us in 2022 to be challenged as we start this year in how much we are willing to walk in our daring faith. You see, where there's no risk, there can be no faith. Now, I'm not just talking about some crazy, risky, do all the extreme sports, jump out of a building, some kind of a risk like that. What I'm talking about is a risky obedience. Because there's going to be moments in our lives where we will be forever changed and we will have the opportunity to either follow God and risk an adventure with Him or stay small. And I think that there's grace for that. I don't think it's the end of the world if we don't follow God. I think He may even give us another chance. But I don't want to miss the opportunity this morning to be able to challenge all of us to say, I want to be the one with daring faith. Because it's not just risk for risk's sake. It's that risky obedience that we're going to look at. So our first thing that we need to do is we need to discern the call. If you're taking notes on our app, that's where you can add this in. You need to discern the call. Jesus' call was come. But you see, Peter used wisdom. Peter didn't see Jesus or even hear his voice and think, 
I've never walked on water. I bet I could do that. I'm just going to get out of the boat. No, what did Peter say? We go back and look at Scripture and it says, Peter said this, he says, Lord, if it is you, then tell me, or another version would say, command me to walk on the water. Peter was following Jesus' command. He wasn't just going rogue. He just didn't decide, I think I'm going to try to walk on water today. But he sought the Lord and he said, God, if it's you, then command me to walk on the water. And then I can do it. You see, people who walk in daring faith are just ordinary people who engage in extraordinary trust. Ordinary people, extraordinary trust. Where is Jesus calling you, an ordinary person, and me, an ordinary person, into extraordinary trust? Maybe it's a job situation that you have. Maybe it's a coworker that you're aware of that needs to know God's love. And God is calling you to step out in faith and to love that person. Maybe it's a boss that you really don't like and doesn't treat anybody well. And God is calling you to step out from among your peers and to honor them and to work as hard as you can as unto the Lord in a way that's going to honor them that's different than anybody else. Instead of back-talking and being part of all of the gossip. Maybe it's one of your neighbors. Maybe God wants you to make a difference in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a missions trip. 20 people out of this church took an amazing step of faith this week They're there this morning saying, God, use me however you can, whether it's painting or whether it's ministering or playing games with kids. I want to be used by you. So I want to tell you one of the stories that I have in our lives. There was that opportunity where God was calling me to be able to trust Before we had any kids, we had been married for several years and we were debating it and thinking, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. Um, We were still young at the time, but I was thinking, sure, I think it'd be a lot of fun to have kids. It'd be nice to be young parents, get that out of the way. That way, once we're done having kids, we won't be old. I didn't think that one through if you know the rest of the story, but at the beginning, we were still young. So... Here's the story. Alicia was on some birth control medicine. Um, It made her really sick one day. Um, She called me and most of one side of her body went numb. And we took her into the um, doctor's office, obviously, run a bunch of CAT scans and MRIs and did a bunch of stuff. And we couldn't find anything wrong. And the more we talked to the doctors, they just simply said, there's a very good chance it's the birth control pill. And let's pull you off of that and see if any of this comes up. We'll keep testing you, come back. So we needed to go off birth control pill. So that's kind of what the beginning of this was, was if we're not on birth control pill, chance that we could have kids. Do we want to have kids? Is this the right time to have kids? 
all of those decisions we're making. So I actually met with Scott. This was at the old church. Uh, met with another pastor that we had, kind of explaining the situation. What do you guys think? Trying to seek out counsel. And the more that I thought about it, the picture that is just ingrained in my head, this is 20 years ago, um, is just that of a closed fist. And God was saying, I need you to trust me. What he was showing me is that this is what I was with our kids. And it was pretty unconscious. I don't think that I was actively saying, oh, I'd never want to have kids or anything. But he just showed me the closed fist. And he said, what I need you to do is I need you to open your fist. And I need you to trust me. I need you to step out in faith and trust that I can be in control of you guys having kids. Some of you may know this joke because you know how many kids we have now. But we didn't know this at the time. We were 22, 23 years old. We were young kids. That was the first chance. It was that opportunity. Will you trust me? There was an invitation from God. Will you trust me? Now what I didn't know is by opening my hand to that, how I was going to have to trust him in so many other areas. Because it wasn't just about trusting him with kids. Shortly thereafter, it would become trust me with finances. Because if you start to have kids, they're expensive. And then it was, can you trust me with how you're going to school your kids? And what school they should be in? And what activities are they going to be a part of? You see, that one chance to open up that fist That was my chance for daring faith in that moment. We're going to get to more of the story later, but that was one of those opportunities that I had to really discern the call when God was saying, come, trust me. The next thing that we needed to do is we need to determine what our boat is. This morning, you need to determine what your boat is. The boat in this story represents our comforts and our conveniences. And the good news is that Jesus is going to be with us as He says, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. I was reading again this week. It says that the words don't be afraid are in the Bible 365 times. There's some risk involved with trusting God. There's some fear that will come up. And fear's healthy. Fear's our friend. Fear helps us analyze the situation and determine the risk. But fear can also hold us back. Fear can keep us from that. People who walk in daring faith will accept fear as a price of growth. Are you willing this morning to embrace fear as a price of growth? Or will you reject that fear and say it's too much? God, I don't think I can trust you. My encouragement would be to to feel the fear fully. Dan Allender wrote that in one of his books. Because when we embrace the fears that hold us back, And as Scott loves to say, Jesus, are you afraid of this moment? 
And Jesus says, no, I'm not afraid. We can kind of like nestle into him and be like, all right, I, I believe you. We got this. We can do this together. So this morning, church, I want you to ask yourself the question, what are you too comfortable with? What's your status quo? What are the ruts that you're in that are keeping you from being able to step out into adventure with God? The calling may be there. The invitation, the very command. Like Peter and Jesus, when Jesus commanded him to step out of the boat. Is there something that's holding you back this morning? You see, the people that are on this missions trip, one of the things that they're seeing is they risk stepping out, getting out of their comfort zone. Most of them don't know Spanish. Dominican Republic, very Spanish speaking. There's a few people who speak English. But my wife's been practicing her Spanish for months with an attempt to be able to try to make connection with these people. That's a risk. But here's one of the amazing things is sometimes when we step out of our comfort zone, is God gives us an opportunity to see something with a different lens. And we get a chance to see another people who are very much like us. They love the Lord. And they serve Him. And their lives may look very different than us. But their joy is often much more genuine than mine. So many of the smiles on the little kids' faces that I would see in the villages when I would go there. I'm picturing Hiro right now, one of the young men in the villages, and the smile on that young man's face. It's different than the joy that I often experience on a day-to-day level for myself. The next D is that we need to decide to get out of the boat. There comes a point in time where we do have to make that decision. We've discerned the call. All right, God, you're asking me through this. You're wrestling with me. You're asking me to do this. We've determined what's at stake. What's the risk? What do I need to decide? What do I need to count the cost for? If I do this, what may happen? Is my people pleasing getting in the way? Is money getting in the way, building wealth and accumulating? What are the securities that I'm holding on to from keeping me to do this? And we just need to decide. We need to make that decision. And it says, Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water. Scott alluded to it last week. I've read this story so many times thinking, Peter, you were a failure. Hearing those words from Jesus, you have little faith. And I've heard those same accusations coming from inside of myself saying, Joel, why didn't you just get this? Why couldn't you have enough faith? I don't think that's the heart of Jesus at all. I think that's accusations from in me. Maybe it's the devil. I don't care what it is. They're accusations. I don't think that's what Jesus' heart is at all. I think as Peter stepped out and was walking to him, that Jesus had a giant smile on his face. And he said, you're doing it. 
look at you. You stepped out of the boat. And as he fell, it was like, ah, I was here. Like, you did have little faith, but you did it. I've read several places that there was 11 more failures inside of the boat than the one that stepped out. We can miss that story sometimes. We can miss the fact that Peter did step out. Because you see, you've got a calling. There's things that God's going to call us to where we need to step out in faith. You need to trust me here. Just trust me. And he's commanding you to do it. He's inviting you into this. There's a risk there. But he's there with you. And it's our job to just go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take that leap of faith. So I was reading some stories around failure. Because you see, people who walk in daring faith have to have a right understanding of failure. There's two great stories. One is Jonas Salk. He was the creator of the polio vaccine. He's trying to create this vaccine for all the people with polio. He wants to be able to cure this disease. And he tries and he tries and he tries and it's not working. He tried 200 times to get the vaccine right. And I imagine people, whether to ask them or not, ask them about failing. How could you fail so many times? And he said, I didn't fail once. Because he said, each attempt that I made got us to where we ended up. It got us to the vaccine. Each attempt was not a failure, but it was just a chance to move forward. Winston Churchill was another. Winston Churchill actually had to retake a grade. So they asked him and they said, so you failed one of your grades. He said, I'd never failed anything in my life. He said, I was given an opportunity to do it right. Sometimes we can get so bound by fear of failure that we're unwilling to take that risk and step out of the boat with God. Because God, what if I fail? And my encouragement to us this morning is let's have a right understanding of failure. Failure is not when we step out of the boat that things went wrong or were hard. Failure is not trying. What are the areas where you're not trying today? Because if you're not trying, then you're failing. Because the invitation is just simply come be with me. See, people who walk in daring faith need to also expect problems even when they obey. Because we obeyed. That was the first step. I was telling you guys about that story. Closed fist, trust me. And I would love if the story from that point on was that everything went great. God, I trust you. We're going to have as many kids as you want us to have. And you're just going to shower us with millions of dollars. 
and our marriage is gonna be perfect, and we're not gonna ever have toddlers that write on the walls with Sharpie, wait, that happened today, again, for the 12th time. Well, I guess the 12th kid, but probably the, I don't know, 200th time. Because the problems aren't gonna go away. Let's not kid ourselves. Christianity isn't one that says, oh, just have enough faith and everything's going to be all right. Because everything's not going to be all right. I lost an uncle this week. We still don't know all the details of what happened, but it was just a few days ago. And I still don't know how to process that. And I lost a great mentor earlier this year. And so many people in our home group are just hurting even this week with people losing nephews. And it can be downright impossible. The waves can be so high And the storms can be so relentless. I'm not naive to this call where I'm saying, please have faith. But there is risk involved because when you give your heart to the Lord and you give yourself to other people, there's going to be opportunities for them to hurt you. So our story continued on. 2002, we had our first firstborn son, amazing. 13 months later, just less than, second son, amazing. 16 months later, first daughter, amazing. The story continues. We're about to have kid number six. So 2002, 2008, for those of you math majors out there, that's six years, six kids. That's got to be the hardest point of my entire life until I found out that there was teenagers and there's teenagers with toddlers. I mean, seriously. But here's our story, 2006. I've been working a retail job for several years. I was getting really good at it, loved this job. I was finding out that I really like encouraging other people, building teams and doing things together. It's something that God has gifted me in. So I'm really enjoying this, but here's the downside with retail. My heart goes out to you, all of you. I still will not walk in a mall unless I absolutely have to. But I worked in a mall for six years and ran a store and was getting good at it and getting promoted. But the company that I worked for really didn't care about their people. And they really weren't always ethical. So a lot of the decisions that I saw the district level making were pretty shady and I didn't appreciate it. And one week in particular, I ended up working 108 hours. Didn't know that was possible, um, but it is. Shout out to all the nurses and everyone else who's been doing that, Bradley. That's a thing. So working 108 hours thinking, oh, well maybe they'll give me some comp time. Like that didn't happen. Realized, oh my gosh, like, I can't keep working for this company because I'm missing my kids growing up. I wasn't able to take Saturdays and Sundays off. I couldn't go to church. 
I wasn't able to be there as my kids were getting older to be at soccer games on Saturdays and things like that. So I, there was a disconnect in what I wanted. So I decided to take another job. I took this sales job with a friend of mine, found out that when you work 70, 80 hours a week, and then you're only asked to work 10 hours a week, if you're not really self-motivated, that you don't really get paid very much money when you don't go out and work other than those 10 hours a week. But I loved being home with my family. So here I am really enjoying my family and my wife. So we're about to have baby number six. And I cry out to God and say, God, like all I want for you to do is provide for this family. You asked me to do this and now we're racking up credit card debt. We're not really making it. We're pretending like we're making it, but I'm so prideful that I won't ask for help. So what am I going to do? So at a different church, I'm in a small group and I just start praying to everybody like, please help. I don't know what to do. Someone else in the, in the community says, hey, I can get you a different job. You can come work for us. Maybe it'll grow into something. So wife's pregnant. Great idea to start a new job. This is 2008 when the economy collapsed and I work in the car industry. Probably not the best time to start working in the car industry, but God, God knew, but I didn't know God knew. So here we are, we're a couple weeks, maybe a month out from having Samuel, our sixth born son, sixth born child, who's a son. And it's my next chance for daring faith. This is where the story gets good. You see, we have an opportunity to trust God. And in my heart, I'm looking at Alicia and I'm saying, Babe, we can't take out another credit card. We're drowning as it is. I don't know what needs to happen, but God has got to show up. So she looks and says, I don't care about cars. I don't care about houses. I don't care about anything. But I need God to put food on the table for these children that he's called us to raise. We went to bed in tears, knowing that that night we had spent the very last dollar that we had. Nothing in savings, no more room on any credit cards. We had nothing left. The next day, she gets a knock on the door. And a friend of her mom's, who we've known, we know their family, came to the door and said, hey, I know people usually bring you meals after the baby comes. But for some reason, as I was praying through, I really felt God like God was saying, please bring Alicia and Joel a meal. So she walks in with this giant casserole of food and says, well, I actually made you two because you could eat one tonight and then put one in the freezer for if you're ever having a bad day in the next couple weeks. So a double portion of the very thing that we were demanding that God do for us was put food on the table for these children. And she said, but that's not it. She said, I also went to the store and I was just trying to think what else could you need? So she walked through the store and filled three or $400 worth of groceries into a cart. Toilet paper, all the stuff that you don't really need, but she loads it up. It's the same exact stuff that we had bought the night before. Bag after bag after bag. 
And Alicia's just bawling because it's what we needed. And she said, that's not it. My son-in-law, as we were talking through the situation, knows your guys' story, knows our story. I haven't told anyone. But God had impressed on their hearts, hands us a, an envelope, and inside the envelope is $500 in cash. We were finally at the place where the storm was so much and we had nowhere else to go but to trust God. I felt so broken that night, unable to provide for my family, trying in this new job, looking for a second job to work nights. I was willing to do whatever it took. And what God showed me that night and the next day is that it wasn't about me. It wasn't how much can Joel do. It was how much can you trust that I've got you. Do you trust me? Get out of the boat. Several weeks later, someone through the church donated money to us. Another $500. It was just enough that covered the amount that we didn't have. Two months after that, I found a job working late at night. I could go in at nine o'clock and work until one in the morning so I could get my kids. I'd finish the one job, get my kids down. They didn't even know I was gone. I'd go do the other job. I'm a night owl, so it worked amazing. That great benefits. I was able to do that job for four years. It was enough time as I worked to pay off all of our debt. So some of it is us. Some of it's us stepping into that call of God saying, I'm going to be here with you. But all of it's Him. All of it is Him. You see, once you walk on the water, you will never forget that moment for the rest of your life. And I want most of you in this room that have had those moments where you threw your hands up and said, God, I don't know, but here I come. I want you to pause and reflect back on those moments and remember them this morning. Because we need to remember the times that God did come through. It's easy for me to get in a rut and say, God, you're not coming through for me. And forget this story of how he gave us exactly what we needed. Because I don't know what your daring faith thing is. It's going to look very different for each one of us. And I'm okay with that. Because the person who do, does know is calling you into it. I hope you can feel the nudge today. And that's going to be my prayer as we wrap up. It's a beautiful song that I love and has been on repeat for so many years for me as I was repairing, re preparing for this message. One of the verses in the song is simply, the wind and the waves still know his name. Church, those winds and the waves that are crashing in your world still must obey 
Jesus' words that said, be still. They still know His name. And that's the boldness that I want to walk in. It's not about me mustering up enough courage. It's me, like a young David, facing a Goliath, not because of his own skill, but saying, how dare you defy my God? He will defeat you. And those waves and storms that are crashing so hard right now, church, they must be obedient when Jesus says, be still. Father, I thank You for this message and what it's done for me and reminding me how good You've been even through the hard even through the pain and the loss and the suffering. You were always there. Right there on the water, right there with me in those moments where I unclenched my fist and I said, God, I trust you. And years later when I said, God, you've got to come through. Put food on the table for these kids. Come through. And you moved in mercy and grace to meet us and to provide for us. So do it again. Do it again and press on our hearts what we need to believe in you for today. For this year, 22, what are, 2022, what are you asking for us to have daring faith to believe you in? Listen for his voice. Listen for his voice even now to show you the areas where he's calling you to risk to adventure, to struggle, to empathy, to joy. Father, move with us this week as we walk with You. In Jesus' name, amen.